Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Carl Drake, and I'm a member of this church. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. Since 1870, UU Wassa has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people, just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter and follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. We have a couple of announcements this morning. <clears throat> Next Sunday is our first Sunday potluck for June. We still need hosts and hostesses. Uh, email Donica to sign up to host the potluck. Join us Saturday, June 4th. UU Wausau will be hosting a Leave a Blessing, Take a Blessing booth at the River District's Pride Fest on the 400 block. Stop by the booth to leave a message of love and support on a message board. Get your own rainbow blessing and check out all of the other family fun. At this time, I invite you to stand and greet one another. Limit yourself to hugs, kisses, handshakes, and body bumps. Please join us in repeating the chalice blessing as we light. Are going to light? Okay. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Please join us now to sing hymn 159, This Is My Song. Tree where my heart is. 
in repeating our affirmation. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. And our doxology. Sunday, uh, so I don't have to hang that sign, church closed. 
So I thought, uh, in honor of Memorial Day, I would tell a story. Have you all ever seen the movie, uh, The Best Years of Our Lives? It's a William Wyler movie. It's absolutely wonderful. It stars three veterans who've returned from World War II, and they both have three just dramatically different returns from the war. One of the men come back, and he's, and he's interviewed at a local bank, and he gets, he gets a job as, as the bank president. Quite a good job whenever you come home from war, right? Another man comes home and has really no, no training beyond high school and beyond war, and so he gets a job at the local uh, pharmacy as a soda jerk, making ice cream floats and pulling sodas for kids and getting candy thrown in his face. And the third man comes back, and he's lost both his arms and his legs. And that character in the movie is actually a true veteran of the war. And they come back, and the same story that all three of these men tell is this. And I love this point that they say, and I don't know if it's true or not. Only you can decide, but it's certainly true for them. But they all said in some way or another, as they said, the best of us, meaning the soldiers who went to war, the best of us are the ones who didn't get to come back. That's what they all said. So I wanted to tell a seldom-told story about the best of us of someone who didn't come back so that we can get an understanding of what it means to sacrifice. Now, this is a dramatic telling of sacrifice, but nevertheless, we've all made sacrifices in our life, right? And sometimes we need a little inspiration. So how many of you have ever been to London, been to England, been to Trafalgar Square? Well, when you're walking around Trafalgar Square, there's this lovely statue in the middle of it, and you all know who that statue is of. A woman by the name of Edith Cavell. Does that ring a bell to anybody? No. I'm going to tell you a hero story. So in the First World War, a woman by the name of Edith Cavell, she lived in what was then occupied Belgium. And what she was doing was she was treating soldiers regardless of from where they came. She would treat French soldiers, Belgian soldiers, German soldiers. It didn't matter. If anybody was hurt or broken, you came to Edith Cavell, and she would treat them. Well, in any case, some soldiers found her on October 15th in 1915, and they stormed her hospital. And they said, we're trying you for treason because you can't treat anybody you want. And she kept on treating all these six soldiers that kept coming into her hospital. Of course, the court case, as you can imagine, was a total setup. They wouldn't let her have an attorney, and so effectively she was forced to try herself, and she was sentenced to die. And so what they did is they let her out of her own hospital, they tied her to a post, and they shot her. But in the moments before they shot her, an eyewitness jotted down this, these exact words, and I thought I'd read them for you this morning. This is what the eyewitness said. He said, after receiving the sacrament, a priest came and gave her a final communion. So after receiving the sacrament and within minutes of being led out to her death, she said, quote, standing as I do in the view of God and eternity, I realize that patriotism is not enough. I must have no hatred or bitterness toward anyone. And she died. Patriotism is not enough. And so when you think about what it is that will inspire you to make a sacrifice, what is it in your true heart of hearts? What settles right down in the pit of your stomach that causes you to do something that might guarantee certain failure? 
and patriotism isn't enough. When being a lumberjack from one of Wausau High Schools isn't enough. What is it that is enough? That's our story for this morning, and I invite you to sing. No one's going anywhere this morning, so stay in your place, and we'll bless this occasion. Bless our children here. Bless our children online. Join me in singing our children's song. The words are in your order of service. The mission and ministry of UU Wausau is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket at the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwausau.org, and make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit card or debit card. Thank you so much for your support. to invite you now into a spirit of prayer and meditation. I want to invite you to settle yourself as you do. I encourage you to pray with your whole body. Start with your feet. Put them flat and firm on the ground. You're welcome to close your eyes. And start on the top of our head. Feel the air and the heat. And move down into your jaw and let it relax. 
Let your tongue relax and your shoulders. Take a deep breath into your stomach and slowly out. Let us pray. Spirit of life, we come because you call us to a deeper caring. We come to share the mix of joy and sorrow that is our life together. And we come with heavy hearts, burdened by a world that looks as though too many have forgotten that their lives must rest in you for meaning. Our dreams of peace are troubled by memories of war and hatred. We know of so many whose nights are haunted by the agony of violence within the home or family or city. And there are those who gave their lives believing that their sacrifice would save us from the terror that was stalking them. And while each one of us are unique, we know that we are composed of beings that make us far more alike than different. Prophets and sages, in answering your call, have walked among to show us what living and loving looks like when it is rooted in love. Help us lift the broken lying in the streets. Help us reach out and love across the fissures that separate us from each other. And hear now our prayers for those in need, for those we know and for those we don't. God of all creation, we lift our prayers, counting on the power of creation to lead us one day to the good news of reconciliation and forgiveness. And now let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our lives, and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Let us stay seated as we sing our prayer hymn. You'll find it in your program notes, America the Beautiful.
selected this morning is a poem entitled Wild Peace by the late Israeli poet Yehuda Hamichai. And the poet writes, Not the peace of ceasefire, not even the vision of the wolf and the lamb, but rather, as in the heart when the excitement is over and you can talk only about a great weariness. I know that I know how to kill, and that makes me an adult. And my son plays with a toy gun that knows how to open and close its eyes and say, Mama. A peace without the big noise of beating swords into plowshares. A peace without words, without the thud of the heavy rubber stamp. Let it be light. Let it be floating like lazy white foam a little rest for the wounds, who speaks of healing. And the howl of the orphans is passed from one generation to the next as in a relay race, and that baton never falls. So let it come like wild flowers, suddenly, because the field must have it. Wild peace. There it ends our reading.
So at the risk of stating the obvious, I want to acknowledge that it's been a difficult week. I expect if you're anything like me, you probably struggled to put some of your thoughts into words. And so considering this, I thought I'd choose as my sermon text from the fifth chapter of St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, beginning in the 13th verse. Learn what St. Paul is doing in this moment, and he is reminding the church of what its true calling is. This is what he says. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly. Serve one another in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here St. Paul is reminding us that come what may, our calling as people of faith is to fight the good fight of faith. And on the difficulties of having faith, the great novelist Flannery O'Connor said, quote, you cannot fit the Almighty into your intellectual categories. If you want your faith, you're going to have to work for it. O'Connor's words are true always, but especially so in the face of present realities, which we all know far too well. War and mass shootings, illness, food shortages, power outages. Faith is hard in the best of times, but it is especially in the worst. The president of the school where I trained for the ministry, what he liked to say before he retired was that people of faith are keepers of a vision. And the vision we keep is that of an otherwise world. A world otherwise in pretty much everything. A world otherwise in terms of violence to which we are always opposed in terms of abuse, which we always respond to with demands for justice and on down the line. But what our present culture is for, winners and losers, black and white thinking, intoxication, scapegoating, blaming, people of faith are called to stand in opposition. Our calling settles us right between the black and the white, right there in the gray, where the last is the first, where the wolves lie with the lambs, where success is sometimes abandoned for service. So yesterday, I watched some of the new Star Wars series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Does everybody know what Star Wars is, or do I need to start from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away and tell you all what Star Wars is? You all know. Do you all know what a Jedi is? I could break down the whole history of Jedis if I need to. Okay, I just want to make sure we know our terms before I start talking about it. Okay. Get me afterwards if you want to run down to the history. But anyway, so yesterday I watched some of the new Star Wars series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Watch it. It's wonderful. So in the first episode, there's this lovely scene. Well, it's not really lovely, but in any case, there's this scene where the evil Grand Inquisitor, he's traveling the galaxy. And what do the Grand Inquisitors do? They are hunting down the very last Jedis who have been forced to live in hiding in order to survive. So most of them never use the force, nothing like that. So in a powerful moment, the Grand Inquisitor, he asks the local barkeep, he says, do you want to know the trick to hunting Jedi? He says the key to hunting Jedi is patience. It's patience because Jedi cannot help what they are. Their compassion leaves a trail. It's exactly what the Grand Inquisitor says. Their compassion leaves a trail. 
if the Bible were written by George Lucas, and I would buy it if he decided to write one, the command to love your neighbor as yourself would have been rephrased to say, wherever you go, be sure that the path you're walking is paved with compassion. So the faithful are called to be people of heart, of course, and people of compassion. That isn't to say we are not people of thought because we are people of thought too. But even our thoughts are supposed to aspire to compassion, which is always easier said than done. One of C.S. Lewis's books entitled The Abolition of Man, what he notes is if you ever go back and you read classical and medieval writing, what you'll notice in their writing is that they regarded the chest as the seat of our moral intuitions and our convictions. In the medieval mind, what they thought is that our mind certainly thinks and analyzes, but then the body is what is used to simmer our moods and our chest, our heart. Our heart is the thing that converts thought and impulse into compassion and action. But unfortunately, today, most of us, whenever we want to get something off of our chest, we don't do it with compassion and meaningful moral consideration. Most of the time, and often without even thinking about it, we turn to social media or the comments section to get something off of our chest. And a lot of what we're saying, a lot of what we're posting, and a lot of what we're writing probably should have remained on our chests, even if it hurts and burns to do so. The point and purpose of this church, based on my understanding of its 152-year history, is to invite people on a quest of repair, starting from the inside of us and then moving out, to change hearts and to heal and strengthen the seat of our affections. And knowing what we do about the state of the church in the world, we can safely assume that our mission, as important as it's always been, it's not exactly popular. I'll tell you what I think seems popular today. Whenever I read the news, it seems to me like insults and irony are the things that are popular. And this fact, if I'm right, it only serves to highlight the moral corruption that is evident on both sides of the political aisles. What this constant fighting does is it make it next to impossible for any fair-minded person such as yourself to deny that the world has surrounded itself in a fortress of lies. Lies about elections, lies about people who don't think or vote like you, lies about immigrants, lies about war, lies about school curriculum. And if you're the kind of person who enjoys condemnation, then you're aware that there is no lack of material these days. But what good, I'm asking you, what good is public or private condemnation if the only thing it does is adds fuel to an already raging fire? Our faith challenges us to keep our anger and our pain inside, even though it hurts, until we find a proper outlet, until we focused our thoughts and feelings so sharply that we know precisely where to direct them using serious moral action. And I'm not trying to suggest that we should never take immediate social or political action. I think we should. But I can't help but wonder that if there was no such thing as social media— if New York Times turned off its comment section, if there is no Facebook, TikTok, no Twitter, what then would we do? This line of thought came to me the other day as my wife and I were watching our daughters track me. 
So there was an old man there on the sidelines, and he was kneeling on one of those, you know those scooters people awkwardly put their leg up on to roll around after they, I always wanted one of those just because it looks fun, but, so there's this old man, he's standing on the sidelines, and he's kneeling on one of those scooters that people use after they break their leg. And so even at half capacity, this guy showed up to cheer on the students. And my wife, for those of you who don't know, she's worked for the local school district ever since we moved here. And so she knows a lot of people, and she knows this gentleman, but not exceptionally well. What she told me, though, is that everybody loves this guy. His wife, a long, long time ago, she used to be a teacher, and she worked at my daughter's elementary for a long time. And back in the 80s, when she got that job, what this guy did, beginning back in the 80s, as he would cook soup. Every single night there's a parent-teacher conference, and he would serve it for every single one of these teachers so that they don't have to do parent-teacher conferences hungry. The other thing he does is he volunteers a whole bunch of his time to help kids cross the street. He's just a local guy, quietly going about his life, feeding teachers home-cooked meals, getting our kids safely from place to place, and showing up to root for the home team. And I looked, and as he scooted his way onto the field, a whole mob of teachers and students, they all just rushed up to greet this guy. And the commandment came into my head. Into my head. It said, love your neighbor as yourself, and you'll leave a trail of compassion everywhere you go. Now, given recent news, you might find it odd that I lift up a local guy who cooks soup and holds stop signs. After all, the fact of the matter is this guy isn't curing cancer. He's not shouting down legislators. He doesn't even have a decent Twitter following. All those teachers that ate his soup, they still got cussed out by angry parents and they got punched by raging kids. Every single one of those teachers still went home tired. All those kids since the 1980s that he's helped to get across the street, some of those kids still got bad grades. Inevitably, some of them ended up in jail and some of them got pregnant in high school. But somewhere along the way, a gentle man in a quiet way embodied a true expression of the quest to repair from the inside out. And he said, I'm going to share it. So the late Paul Farmer, who some of you probably know, he worked as a doctor in some of the poorest nations in the world. And he had a phrase for acts like this, for people like this. And this is his phrase. Fighting the long defeat. Fighting the long defeat. So Dr. Farmer and the medical aid organization he co-founded called Partners in Health it rose to public awareness after a journalist by the name of Tracy Kidder she wrote a book about him called Mountain Beyond Mountains. And there's this wonderful exchange in the very back part of the book. And what Kidder is doing is she's trying to figure out why Dr. Farmer has spent his entire working life working in the crummiest hospitals in the world for hardly any pay at all in the poorest nations where despite his best efforts, people still keep on dying from the most common illnesses. I mean, think about it. A Western-educated doctor, he could hop on a plane and fly pretty much anywhere for eight hours, and it would have delivered him somewhere where he could have worked as a nice, white-coated doctor in a well-appointed office, in a nice American city, in a nice suburb with an in-ground pool in his backyard. 
And in response to this question, Dr. Farmer, why do you choose to work like this? Here's what Dr. Farmer said. I'm going to quote him. Dr. Farmer said to the journalist, I have fought the long defeat and brought other people on to fight the long defeat. And I'm not going to stop because we keep losing. Now I actually think sometimes we might actually win. And don't get me wrong, I don't dislike victory. But you know, people from our background, comfortable people like you, comfortable people like me, we're so used to being on the victory team. And actually what we are really trying to do is to make common cause with the losers. And those are very two different things. All of us want to be on the winning team, but at the risk of turning our backs on the losers, no. It's not worth it. And so you fight the long defeat. In the Bible, all those losers were called the least of these, which is a phrase that stands for children, the sick, widows, orphans, the poor, and grieving. The reality about the least of these is that one day, every single one of us will fall into at least one of those categories. Aging, illness, grief, they're all just a matter of time because being alive demands that we constantly change. And the world we're living in, the universe we're floating in, it's all changing too. Just think about it, everything, the universe, the stars, the earth, everything is constantly changing and expanding. And so are we. Just think about some of these facts. Every day, some of us more than others, but nevertheless, every single day, all of us lose 50 to 150 strands of hair. It's kind of gross. This one's even grosser, but I'm going to say it anyways. Over the course of a day, your body will shed 10 billion flakes of skin. We shed so much skin that most of the dust in American households is made up of our dead skin. I'm sorry to ruin your morning, but it's true. Here's another fact. 28 days from today, all the skin on your entire body will be 100% new, right down to the atoms in the cells. You can even bury a body, and what happens? It just keeps on changing. And with the fact of change everywhere, the question we're left with is, what then remains constant? So if you open the Hebrew Bible to Genesis, what you encounter is one of the greatest creation stories ever told. What do we read? We read that God creates the heavens and the earth and separates it by darkness and light and then all the animals and the creeping things and finally people. And then God turns to those people and says, if you want to, if you choose to, you are welcome to participate in creation because from this day forward, you have the power to create life. What the Christians and the humanists and the pagans here at this church, what we all agree on is that we have the power to create life, to create love, to change. And so given this extraordinary power, need we limit the question to what we can attempt? Need we question the limit to what we can change? With news like ours that fills us nightly with sadness and rage, 
We'd be wise to remember the words of the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who said, quote, whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process he does not become a monster. Because when you look into the abyss, the abyss looks into you. And so let these words serve as a reminder that our calling is to repair. Our calling is to heal, to love our neighbor, and to pave our ways with bricks of compassion. Every single one of us in this room has the power to participate in creation, to sow life, to sow love, to be a moment of hope in what may be the hour of someone's despair. And sometimes this work is grand and it takes place in foreign lands, but most of the time it happens at home amongst our kith and kin. The work of religious repair, it sometimes mends the body, and sometimes it mends the soul, and sometimes it does both. But behind this ministry of repair lies human compassion, and behind compassion lies life's will that we be whole. Even like weeks we've just lived through, when I look around, I can see that the world is not without compassion. It's not without healing. And through human hearts and human hands, God brings mercy and release. The gift is there, and to us it's been given. It's ours for the asking, and it's ours for the giving. Amen. I invite you now to rise and join with me in singing our closing hymn on the blue insert, Let There Be Peace on Earth.
but let it begin with me. If you came here with someone this morning, I invite you to take their hand. If you're here alone, reach out with your heart. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Have a seat, relax, and enjoy the postlude. <laughs>